1: Put the spring back into your step and into your home, too. Shop Blinds.com right now and save up to 45%. Up to 45% off for a limited time at Blinds.com. Blinds.com. Rules and restrictions may apply.
0: Jacob Albrocht, Tommy caster This is Sports Daily on Wichita's number one sports radio, 97.5 and 1240 KFH.
2: All right, Tommy, welcome back. Hour number two, Carlos Correa. Uh, Big, big, fat contract. 13-year deal. 13 years for a guy who turned 28 in September. So they're taking him through age 41. It's the trend now in baseball to sign these guys to these long deals. Uh, Correa, after a little bit of a slow start last year, actually kind of hit the average of where he normally is. The Giants have had money burning a hole in their pocket for a while. Um, What do you think?
3: Uh, It's a really long contract, um, and it's too long. I don't understand the trend of these teams doing this. I mean, it's going to take Correa all the way through his age, 41 season. I'm not saying that Carlos Correa is not a talented shortstop. And, yeah, these teams have money to spend, but you're committing a lot of money for a long time. We talked about this with Xander Bogarts a few days ago. I think it's hard to suggest or to even think that these players will produce at a high level when they're in their early 40s. I just don't understand the long term. Like I get maybe a 10 year contract, you know, take you through your age, 38 year, but all the way to 41. Come on. That's crazy.
2: So it's interesting because this is the price of baseball. We see the money it takes to bring in players to compete, um, and and it sort of ties right into a town hall-type discussion with John Sherman, the Royals' boss, basically, the chairman or CEO, whatever his official title is, as he's making the trips now to try to sell Kansas City on ponying up, it sounds like, some public dollars to help build a downtown baseball stadium. This is interesting, We're and we've talked about this a little bit, Tommy, but we sit in a city right now with what feels like some broken promises so far to Wichita's downtown stadium. This happens all the time. They ask for public money. They don't deliver, and then they back out, and then these things happen, and we foot the bill for these stadiums, and it's always sort of a question of, like, why Why does the public need to build this stadium for you? Why don't you build it yourself? And in football, we're starting to see some of these owners basically not ask for public dollars, make the full private investment, and then have a very valuable piece of property uh, continue to gain in value. But, you know, John Sherman and the Royals are asking for public dollars. But the question ultimately becomes are you going to be good enough? for this to work? Are you going to spend, are you going to commit to what it takes to make a good enough product to make this a big deal? And if not, what's the point anyway? And, and I think it's a fair question.
3: Yeah. You and I were texting about this last night as the, the media Q and a was going on with John Sherman. And I'm on record saying that I'm in support of a, a new stadium for, for the Royals in downtown Kansas city. I think it makes sense. There has been no development around the Truman Sports Complex. It's not a destination. The idea of having a downtown ballpark where you can build a district around it, it's worked in other cities. I think it could work in Kansas City. Uh, We know how passionate the fan base in general for sports in Kansas City is. And so I don't have a problem with it. I'm on record saying that I'm good with the downtown ballpark. But the way in which it gets done that's where my hangup is a little bit. John Sherman, during the media questioning uh, yesterday, was asked why taxpayers should foot part of the bill. His answer was, and I quote, We are asking we do this together. You will hold us accountable to deliver benefits on your behalf. We will be beside you with a very significant investment, end quote. My problem with this, you and I talked about it last night. My problem with this is that the fan base, the public, already gets to hold the Royals accountable by choosing whether or not they want to spend their dollars to go and partake in the product that's on the field and the environment at the stadium. They already get to do that. So why the public has to put in more dollars to make this happen, I'm not so sure that that's the right way to go.
2: Well, he's – I think they're sticking to the tagline of Jackson County residents aren't going to pay any more than they pay now for Kauffman, um, which I, I suppose that's up to the Jackson County voters to decide if they still want to do that. I don't know how this thing – I don't know if this goes to a vote. I, I mean, I don't know how this all works. It's it's tricky. I support a downtown stadium, too, because I think it it aligns Kansas City with cities it's probably trying to compete with as a city. Um and that's that makes a lot of sense. It was the same reason for Wichita, you know. You you you're competing with the Tulsas and the Omahas and some of these similar sized cities that do have downtown districts and ballpark districts, and it makes sense to compete with them when you're competing for jobs and people to come move to your city. I get it, support it. I've never been comfortable with public dollars funding stadiums in most circumstances, but. I won't be a hypocrite either. I think it can make sense. For instance, if the chiefs—and I've said this before—ever were serious about coming over to the Kansas side, I don't—I don't care if that's fully publicly funded because that becomes the state of Kansas's greatest export at, the, export at that point, right? Like there, there are times as, you know, decision makers, you have to look big picture. I don't know if the downtown baseball stadium is the same thing though, because the Royals don't draw any fans right now. When they're not good, they don't draw fans. And and I got nothing wrong with that either. Be good and you'll draw fans. They've proven that. So it's hard to – and John Sherman seems like a stand-up dude from everything we've seen. Don't have any issue with John Sherman. Don't have any real reason to not believe him other than history, right, with these situations. Are the Pittsburgh Pirates spending a ton of money now that they have a downtown ballpark? I don't no. think so. I mean the Padres are, right? The Padres built one down there and they're committed. They're 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 doing it. So is San Francisco. So it's it's difficult to just guess at which way it's gonna go. But to imagine all of a sudden, I mean the Guardians, where John Sherman was, right? Are they committing big dollars to payroll for their downtown ballpark? No. So like You got to just say we want to hold each other accountable unless you're going to put in legally binding documents that say we are required to spend X amount of dollars every year or we are required to make it into the middle third of payrolls across Major League Baseball or void our public dollars for this stadium, which go for it. Like find something that actually holds you accountable, not just – not just window dressing, right, of saying, well, we want you to hold us accountable. Okay, great. Make it, put, put your money where your mouth is then. Yeah. Commit to spending on the roster, and, we'll, and then we'll talk about this.
3: And the Royals released a few weeks ago when this whole thing you know, broke that they were you know, going to pursue a downtown ballpark. They released renderings of what the new stadium could potentially look like. Those renderings filled with fans to the brim. And I remember looking at it and being like, man, when was the last time that many people showed up for a Royals game? Had to have been the World Series in 2015. Like, it looks like the, the, the attendance in 2015. Uh, I've been to Royals games over the last couple of years. And, in fact, you know, this last season, I attended a game in August that was the lowest attended Royals game since 1994. I was at that game. I was one of the few people that was there. And it's hard for me to believe that unless there is a legitimate, significant investment in the product on the field, that fans, regardless of a new ballpark, regardless of a downtown ballpark district and all the entertainment options and dining options and all of that, hard for me to think that they're going to come down there if the product stinks. Now, the issue with this, Jacob, is that you and I are both on record talking about the new management of the Royals with Matt Quattrero and the coaches that he's hiring. We're both advocates for the Royals not to significantly invest a lot of money and really work on developing the talent they have in house. This flies in the face of this whole thought of if they're going to build a new ballpark, they've got to start to invest in the on-field talent. So I think you've got to try to reconcile that a little bit. Like, Do the Royals need to change their strategy entirely of how they're wanting to build their roster and, you know, improve the on field product if they're going to have a downtown
2: ballpark? It, it, look, in 2016, okay, in 2016, the Royals, after the World Series in the year they weren't, they, they drew 31,000 fans a game, a little more than, over 2 million, right? They were hitting that threshold good for 12th in Major League Baseball. Um, it, the year after that, seventeenth, which is about right in the middle, drew over two million, right? And and so it, that to me that shows us that when the team was doing the things it needed to to stay competitive, and Dayton Moore took heat for that, you know, for trying to hold that team together. But that's the reason why. And each year after that, as they haven't been good, as they've been trying to rebuild, attendance is dropping. Does that surprise anybody? That's the way it should work, right? And and so when they're good and when they're competitive, Royals fans will show up. They were top 10 in 2015. Uh, in 2014, it took a minute, right, because that was the first year, sort of, and they surged at the end of the year. But if they're competitive, people are going to come to those games, Tommy, yeah. and they'll especially come to the games if you've got a downtown ballpark. But what are you going to do to commit to being good because there's really not anything else you can do to prove it than to spend money on your payroll. And the Royals aren't doing that right now because they don't think they're good enough to do that. I get it. They haven't been good enough to do that. But unless you're going to commit to spending money on the payroll, right, it's not going to work. And spending money on the payroll is more than signing Carlos Santana every once in a while. You got to really commit, bring in some, do these things. You can't have it both ways because if you're going to be a team that's competitive, you know, maybe twice a decade, if you're lucky, that's the raise, then just play at Kaufman, right? Because that's, that's like, why not at that point? But you can't do both. You can't build a downtown stadium, reap all the rewards, but not invest in the team on the field. You got to do both. You either invest every year and you go for it and you try because fans are going to reward that, right? If you think that team has a chance to be good, you're going to go to games. Everybody wants a great team, but you can't do it if you're not going to commit to it. And we can, John Sherman can talk till he's blue in the face, but until he proves it, why would people believe him? I get it. Yeah. And here's the rub also we've
3: had all these teams that are announcing huge free agent contracts. Carlos Correa last night to the Giants for 13 years and $350 million. And all of these other players that, you know, teams are are signing. Not all of those teams are large market teams. You mentioned San Diego. You know, they've been in on it quite a bit. And so this is happening throughout the entire league. Meanwhile, the Royals are on a listening tour about their new potential downtown ballpark. And oh, by the way, they also signed a pitcher last night who has a career ERA over four. That's who they, they, they signed Ryan Yarborough to a contract. That was the big announcement on the pitching staff. Okay, that doesn't move the needle at all. So, And that's happening simultaneously as they're doing a QA and a with media about a new ballpark and investing in the team. And they went out and they signed a 30-year-old pitcher who, yeah, he might have a winning record in his time with the Rays, his ERA is fairly high, and it doesn't move the needle. It's not a splashy signing. I'm not saying the Roy- the Royals should do that this year, but those two things, they don't jive together with me. You're talking about investing a lot of money in a ballpark and talking about investing in the on-field product, and you know, one of the questions was why a perpetually last-place team should get a brand-new stadium, and then they're like, all right, well, we're also going to go and sign a guy That really wasn't on anybody's radar that nobody really cares about. All right, fair enough. Those two things don't jive. And so I feel like the optics are not there. I'm okay with the downtown ballpark. But if you are not willing to pump money into the on-field product, again, I'm not suggesting that they should. But if you're not willing to do that, then I don't think that you can ask the public, you can ask the residents of Jackson County to help you foot the bill.
2: It's... It's hard because you're asking for trust, and some teams do spend. The Padres have spent since they built Petco. They've got it wrong a lot of times, but they're trying. Um, you know, we mentioned San Francisco. Uh, is the Brewers' stadium downtown? I think it is. They spend. You know, when they can. Uh, there, you know, there are teams that don't fit a large market mentality that do. Put their money where their mouth is. Look at what the Braves are doing right now. That's not even a downtown ballpark, but it's a new ballpark. Uh, The Rangers, it took them a couple of years, but they knew what they had to do. They had to spend, and they've done that the last two off seasons. So I I don't know what you can do to commit to that, but they've done nothing for a long, long time now in free agency. So – can you go lock up some of these young stars like we're seeing teams do can when you go give at least substantial... one year deals to some relief pitchers
3: when was the last substantial free agent signing for the royals like Ooh. legitimately moved the needle that everybody thought wow like that's a that's a good signing it's been a long time
2: yeah they they had a couple um in the World Series, but they were like bullpen guys. Yeah. Let's see. Um. This is an interesting question. They, they, and and they don't. You know, you don't necessarily have to overspend. I mean, no. Melky Cabrera, they spent big on. Yeah. You remember yeah. Melky Cabrera? But that was all the I way do. back in like 2011. Yeah. Uh, Ian Kennedy, they spent on Ian Kennedy. Okay. That might be yeah. the guy. Um, and those are the kinds of moves they can make, but man, they haven't made one of those in forever. And they don't and, and have look, the to biggest difference,
3: them. yeah, the biggest difference between the collegiate world and professional world is that there's an argument to be made in college sports that you have to have the facilities to attract the players. Right, that's the conversation that's been going on with Kansas football for a while. You have to have a new stadium if you want to try to recruit and get players in the transfer portal and all of that. It's not the same thing even remotely in professional baseball. No, usually you don't the highest have have, bidder
2: wins, right? Yeah,
3: Exactly. You don't have to have a, a shiny, brand-new downtown ballpark with a district around it to get free agents or to make trades or to do. Like, it's literally, are you going to pay these guys? Are you going to pay them enough to come in and play for your franchise? That's the difference. And so the downtown ballpark, While it's great, and yes, I'm in support of it because I think it would be cool. I think it would be cool for Kansas City fans to have a downtown ballpark to go to. Sure, I'm on board with it. It looks great. But that is not the end-all, be-all of this franchise, in my opinion, to be able to have success. You've got to invest on the product in the field because then the fans will come. Then you're making money. You're winning games. That's the formula to success. It's not a downtown ballpark. It's great. It's the icing on the cake. It's not the cake itself.
2: No, I, and there, I, I agree with you. I think there's this misconception that a, that a big, beautiful ballpark is going to make you win games. No, a good no. roster is going to make you win games. And fans are going to show up to watch a winning team. They're not going to show up to watch a losing team no matter how shiny the ballpark is. So you, you better get it. On the field. Right. And if John Sherman is smart, and I think he is, you've got to, if you're going to ask the fans and the public to do this, don't ask them when you suck. Right. right? Like, don't ask when when your team is in this perpetual rebuild that feels like four years behind where it should be. Don't ask then. Fix the team. Fix them in the short term. Go do whatever you can to put a good product on the field, get the fan base excited to come watch the baseball team, and then go on a listening tour yeah. and ask them for millions and millions and millions of dollars. And that's
3: the big rub, right? Like, And, of course, going back to Kansas football, there were arguments to be made that when, uh, and it was the administration before Travis Goff and even before then, where they were trying to build a new stadium and they were going to the big money donors and asking them to donate, and the team was 0-12 team was or one and 11 or two and like they were awful right and that was even a hard putt even though there was the argument to be made that we have to have the facilities to recruit the players to get them here to turn things around that's the only way it's going to happen at least you could make that argument you can't do that with the royals it doesn't work that way it's a completely it's apples and oranges a completely different situation You've got to invest in the on field product. Then you go to the voters and you say, Will you help us foot the bill? Because we're a great team. We're winning. We want to bring more fans in here and we want to bring a World Series trophy back to Kansas City.
2: It's. They're going to get their stadium, I, I think. I just, that you got to, John Sherman, you got to get the team better. And you're not going to do that in the short term without bringing in some free agents. And you can do that, right? Like, you can go get a bunch of relief pitchers right now that would make this team more competitive next year. You can. They got to do it. And, they're you know, he he he's teased at some big signings, but you're going to run out of the big signings anybody cares about. And, I, and, look, they don't need to go sign Carlos Correa. That doesn't make a lick of sense for them to do, ever. But they can do
3: better than Ryan Yarborough. Yawn, yes, they can. Yawn. Nobody cares. Nobody yes, cares. they can.
2: Yeah, you got to do something. Go sign Bobby Witt Junior. to a to a long term. Like, do something that shows your commitment financially to winning baseball games. And I am sorry, maybe... I
3: love I love Zach Greinke, and he's a great character, and it was great to see him back in Kansas City. But if their big splash with the pitching staff is to re sign Zach Greinke, you can do more than that too.
2: Yeah, and it was a big splash, and it made sense last year. I did like it, but we thought they were going to be better than they were last year, and they weren't. So now, what are you going to do to what are you going to do to combat yep. that? You're going to keep rebuilding, and if you choose to go down that path, you're going to get resistance in building a new downtown stadium. 869-1240 is the number to call. We'll come back. We'll continue on Sports Daily as we make our way through this Wednesday. Uh, call us. we got, uh, we got a little time for you here today. We'll talk a little college football recruiting classes and where K-State stands and stacks up right now to the rest of the nation. That's next on Sports Daily. Welcome back, everybody. Sports Daily, KFH. Jacob Albrock, Tommy Castor alongside you. We're getting close to signing day. We're sort of taking focus now. we got players signing uh, in this early signing period sort of, you know, throughout the next couple of weeks. I think next Wednesday is like the official early signing period signing day. Tommy, I can't even keep up with it anymore. Uh, we know so many of these commitments beforehand. So, You know, the typical cast of characters up near the top, the SEC schools, all that stuff, Georgia, Alabama, whatever. Kansas State, Tommy, with this class that we've talked about for a long time is getting into a territory we haven't seen for a long time. I'll give you the last few years signing classes. You've seen the tremendous amount of success this year. Uh, In 2020, Kansas State had the 55th, and this is according to uh, gopowercat.com, 247 Sports. Kansas State in 2020 had the 55th-ranked signing class in 2021, 57th. In 2022, 62nd, okay? And we've seen the amount of success that these classes have had on the field, obviously. You go back one more year in 2019, 62nd. So clearly, as Kansas State has throughout all of its great seasons, it is overachieving Uh, based on a signing class, And, and, and signing class rankings are a little bit silly anyway. Evaluating high school talent is insanely difficult to do. But we can look then this year at this 23 class, which features some local flavor, right? And Avery Johnson, who's the highest rated recruit, a top 70 player nationally, one of the top quarterback commits in the country. Uh, And another four-star, Jordan Allen, and then a couple of local guys in Will Anseo of Capen and Wesley Fair, who's signing today from Collegiate. But Tommy, you're looking at this class now as the 33rd ranked class in the country. And all of a sudden, you're looking at a, a level of talent if they continue to develop the talent the way that they have, where... There's absolutely reason to believe that K State is about to go on a run of sorts and have some success, right? And and we know they've had success in the transfer portal, but this is looking really good for K State, and and I'm excited for them.
3: Yeah, I, I want to take it with a grain of salt a little bit. Uh, having a, a top ranked class is always good, like this is always a positive thing, especially when you can raise the profile of your program and you've seen consistent growth and and you just mentioned it from year to year to year and having, you know, uh, the arrow pointing upwards as far as how you're ranking among other programs and whether they're in the SEC or another conference, that's always really good. Of course, we know that not all of these guys are going to pan out. We know that, uh, you know, not all of them are going to make the field um, or be immediate contributors, in fact, I would guess only a handful that will be freshmen will be able to come in and make an immediate impact. But there is a long-term benefit to this if some of these guys can develop over time and they can stay with the program. We know the advent of the transfer portal and what that does, You know, especially for you know underclassmen who maybe aren't getting the playing time that they want and they feel like they can go somewhere else. So I think that it's okay to be excited about this class and especially in comparison to some of these other programs and what Chris Kleiman has done in recruiting and getting these guys to campus and getting them committed and all of that. But of course we don't have a crystal ball, so it's hard to know exactly how all of these guys will pan out.
2: Well, right. It goes both ways because K-State wins despite high classes all the time, right? So now when they, when they have a good class, I, I, th- I do think, though, that there is reason to get excited when you see players that aren't as highly touted recruits develop the way that Kansas State has historically been able to develop players to then see, even if it's just a star rating in high school, which, again, doesn't mean all that much, but there is a difference in Avery Johnson. Right, And some of the recruits sure. that have come in. I mean, that's a different level athlete. And we only know that one because we see it right in front of our eyes. Um, and those kinds of players coming through. And and even if it becomes, and you could say this to some, KU has gotten it done with really good transfer classes. Uh, that's where their rebuild has come from. And that, that will probably continue here. But if you're, you know, if, since we're just talking about K-State here, like I just think back to, all the great players from the state of Kansas that we've covered individually over the last 5 or 6 years if if KU and K-State can get those players going to KU and K-State it will be a tremendous advantage forever you know those players end up at Oklahoma or maybe Oklahoma State or you know in some scenarios even further away You're just if they can get them all to 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 stay home, and the NIL will help do that. It's going to be good for both of those programs, and and I am excited for K State, and and I do hope this class works out, um, because it does have so much local flavor, whether it's from our direct listening area or just the state of Kansas in general. Because it's more fun that way, right? It's going to be more fun if Avery Johnson's awesome, not because he's awesome, but because he's local and awesome. Yeah, It's why Grady yeah. Dick is so much fun at Kansas yeah. right now. Why Perry Ellis was so much fun at Kansas.
3: Right, and look at a guy, I know that he's not in our immediate listening area, but think of a guy like Jaron Canick, who was totally. an incredible high school football player in Hayes, ended up with Oklahoma, and got the job done and was an immediate contributor on that Oklahoma team. Uh, would have been great to have him at Kansas State. Would have been great to have him at Kansas. Uh, Bill Snyder did a really good job a lot of years when he was the head coach of the Wildcats of recruiting in state. And you always knew that there was going to be somebody that was you know more than likely on the offensive line or the defensive line that came from a small town in western Kansas. And that, that guy was a a big contributor typically for Bill Snyder and what he, what he did. Um, there has been a major, uh, shortcoming from this Kansas program, the Jayhawks program going back a long time where they have been unable to recruit in state. They just haven't been able to get a lot of the top guys or really any of the top guys, uh, from the state of Kansas to come and play for the Jayhawks. And that's been essential, um, you know, especially now as we see the brand of football statewide growing. Uh, I mentioned it at the top of the show, just the sheer number of playmakers who are rated highly that come from Kansas right now, it's probably better than it's ever been before. And so it, that makes it that much more essential for both of the, the two major in-state programs to recruit these local guys heavily,
2: it, it is um, it is going to be fascinating. Klein will help that. Klein will help that. The success both of these teams have had this year will help that. The buzz surrounding both programs will help that. Recruiting visits will be better for local kids now. All of these things, and for K State, you know Avery Johnson is is the key, I think, because. He's had a lot of hype around him. He's a good kid, and if his success continues, they're going to be able to build on that for sure. Kansas, probably still just a little bit away from that. Sure, uh, They're going to get some facilities upgrades. They're going to need to keep working through the transfer portal, right? Bringing guys like Kai Thomas back. Maybe it's somebody that left but now needs a spot and maybe an opportunity, and those, those possibilities exist too. But signing day a lot of the time for football, for K-State, and KU doesn't mean just a whole lot uh, in recent years. It does now. Their they, they recruits are, and, and nationally, this isn't just for these two schools. This is for the whole country, NIL. Yes, we're seeing the same classes at the top, um, and, and I just, I, I do think we're going to get a much more even distribution of talent across the country with NIL. TCU has had a tremendous class, really, um, since it, has had success this year, but you just you know, and, and you got to go down the list a little ways to get away from the traditional powers. TCU's in there at 19 right now in class rankings. Texas Tech is in there at 23. That's a little bit unusual. Iowa is back in there. North Carolina's back in there. Um, West Virginia's in there. K State Big Twelve is actually having a nice class, but I think we're going to see Tommy some of this distribution. Trickle down that list. I hope it's been my hope since the you know since NIL started. So um, it's certainly we're seeing it here in Kansas. I think we'll see it all across the country, though.
3: Yeah, I'm I'm less invested in the signing day right now because of the advent of the transfer portal. Um, I find myself paying a little bit more attention to who is potentially coming to a program that has been at another program transferring out. I know Kansas State uh, just landed a, a former wide receiver that played for Iowa. Um, that he could be a nice contributor for the Wildcats squad. Um, And and so I'm paying a little bit less attention to the signing day. And and that's not a knock on these recruiting classes and and the incoming freshmen, but I also know that with these teams that are working the transfer portal so well, they've got chances to get immediate high-level contributors to their programs right away, where you don't necessarily have to worry quite as much about development and maturity and growth. Some of these guys that are transferring are already there. They're plug and play. Put them in your program and let them cook. Not everybody, but some of them. And so I find myself paying a little bit more attention to the transfer portal. And I wonder if that ultimately makes the the, the signing day process a little bit less interesting overall. Because, it, you know, it used to be, we all know it will. back in the day, Somebody committed to a program, they were going to be there for several years or they weren't going to play football like the, the whole transfer portal thing didn't exist. And so it made who was committing to your program really, really important coming out of high school because you knew that more than likely you were going to know these guys for multiple years to come. That's not really the case anymore.
2: There's no doubt about it. The transfer portal will be just as important as recruiting. Um, but that is recruiting, right? You're still having to recruit those transfers in. And success lends itself to that. Kansas and Kansas State are both in great opportunities to do that because they're showing that guys have come in there and have a lot of success. You know, I, I don't know that I, – I think there was some concern, Tommy, that when you open up the transfer portal, you'll have small school guys all jumping to try to go play at Alabama. Well, Alabama only has so many spots where you can actually go play. And I think – and I don't have any, like, hard evidence to this, but I think we're sort of seeing the opposite thing happen. I think we're seeing really good players from some of the bigger schools who may not have the opportunity they need. I think it's sort of trickling outward away from those schools in the transfer portal. We'll see. We're going to have a chance. Look, if the same teams are up there at the top, then none of this matters. I don't think, though, three, four, five years down the road, we're going to see that. I think we're going to diversify college football. And I think it'll be a good thing. 869-1240, the number to call. Tom and I will return on Sports Daily on a Wednesday. Tommy, we got news. Maybe interesting here for KU. Seeing something out of Arizona that gets our appeal. Hit us with it.
3: Yeah, so of course, Arizona had uh, their violations from the NCAA that were being investigated by that independent panel. Uh, The independent panel has given their results, and there are no sanctions, no penalties. For former Arizona coach Sean Miller and the Arizona program in general will get a $5,000 fine, a reduction in scholarships for next season by one, and a seven week recruiting communication ban for the academic year right now. The program also had a self imposed uh, penalty where they brought in a postseason ban uh, as part of what they're doing for themselves, but really that there's not a whole lot of penalties here from Arizona what makes this interesting for Kansas is that the Jayhawks are also going through this independent panel uh and it'll be interesting to see how this pans out for the Jayhawks
2: uh I, I think they're gonna be fine um I think that what they did themselves is very likely going to be enough on this, which is why they finally decided to do it. I don't, I think they've handled this very delicately and I don't think they would just pick a random time and place to do it if they didn't have some indication that this was going to be, and I'm talking about the penalties we already saw this year being imposed. I, it feels like that's part of the course for what this panel is deciding to do anyway, so i I do think Tommy, there's a very real chance that we are done with all of this. finally, not that anybody even cares anymore because i' am, I'm convinced that nobody does nobody cares about any of this anymore and and that's I'm not saying that to say it's right, wrong or indifferent. I'm just saying it's the reality. Like we see these stories and it's like a nothing burger. It's like, okay, cool. yeah, like don't care. and
3: and the fact that the the only two schools that are remaining, to get their penalties uh, or sanctions from this independent panel, Kansas and LSU. Once that's done, the panel will cease to exist. The NCAA is taking it away. It's going away. The whole thing is done. Uh, And so that's really all we're waiting on is to see what kind of penalties Kansas will get and what kind of penalties LSU will get. And at that point, uh, I think everybody can move on and we can put this ugly chapter of I don't even know what you want to call it. These NCAA violations. Put that all behind everybody. Move on. It's a new world in college athletics, and uh, we can, I guess, you know, forget about it.
2: Isn't Isn't it already behind us, though? I mean, other than them doing something that affects the team tremendously right now, and Kansas did that to it itself. But I mean. Isn't it already behind us? Wasn't it always already behind us, right? Like, what what was going to happen? They're going to take down a banner from the Final Four. Okay. Like, who cares if they do? It's not like any of us, like... That's always the problem with this stuff. It, it, it's so nuanced into the rules that are murky and hard to understand anyway and, the, and who decides it and how it's decided and all that stuff. Like, nobody has any misconceptions about this stuff. Like, we all... We all know the game, and the game now finally is out in the public because of NIL and all this other stuff. Like That that, that seems like – I mean, honestly, it seems like a lifetime ago that this was yeah, even a I thing. Think
3: that, yeah, I think that also you, you keep in, in mind that this whole thing went through a trial, right? Like there was a federal trial. The FBI investigated it, found nothing, found these schools – not liable, not guilty. In fact, a lot of times the the schools were considered victims in this entire situation, and now an independent panel is coming in and saying, I mean, yeah, we're going to validate that decision. Nothing happened. And so I feel like this was a major monumental waste of time for all the schools involved in it. I don't know what has taken so long to get the final results from this panel, not just for Kansas, but for any of the schools who were involved in it. And I think that the only school who really came out of this kind of getting screwed is Oklahoma State because Oklahoma State admitted to, uh, you know, violations. They didn't go through an independent panel. The NCAA ruled on them, and they got a postseason ban. Uh, And so, you know, that's the the most egregious out of all of it. Um, I'm ready for this ugly chapter in general in college basketball to be done.
2: The NCAA is a uh, is an event organizing entity at this point. I mean, it, it is like it, it's just they need to organize these events and make them great.
3: Yeah, nothing make else. Sure, make sure kids
2: are making sure kids are making their grades. I mean, they don't the need academic components. They
3: don't yeah. need to enforce things. Uh, it's just that's not the outside the goal of academics, of the NCAA I do. There forward.
2: has to be an academic wing to athletics, and they can do that. Uh, but the other stuff. Nobody cares. 869 1240 is the number to call. We'll come back. We'll wrap up Sports Daily next.
0: We really need new phones. T Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's over here. Only at T Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade in when you switch. <laughs>